the book of Revelation, chapter 1. And let me just read let's, a few verses here in the beginning before we pray. Let me introduce uh, where we're going. Because today, I'm going to begin a series on this book of Revelation. And I left downstairs on purpose an outline of the book. Uh, and then some resources of some other materials you may want to pick up and look at in your spare time. We're going to be here for a few months. And uh, we're going to have a wonderful time in this uh, great book. And you'll notice in verse 1, for example, it says, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And it refers to the book, it's, it's two things. It's a revelation and it's a prophecy. A revelation... Uh, is the word for apocalypse. You've heard the word apocalyptic. And apocalypse now, the movie. And, and the word apocalypse or revelation means it's, it means to break through by surprise. And so as we read this book and study it, it is to be full of breakthroughs for us. Surprises for us. It's a great word. It's a, it's a revelation. So if you're not surprised as we read through this and study it alone and here together, you're missing something. And In fact, that word uh, breakthrough by surprise or unveiling is used about the gospel in Romans 1, 16, 17, where it says the gospel is the power of God of the salvation, a righteousness has been revealed, has broken through by surprise, that now in Christ we can stand before God clean and his righteousness is not our own. It's a breakthrough by a surprise. Who would have ever anticipated such a thing? And so this book is a revelation. It is a surprise breakthrough for us. And uh, so it's about judgment, it's about... Uh, devastation, it's about salvation, it's about hope. It's full of surprises for us. And, and uh, now it says, it's a revelation of Jesus, verse 1, which God gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place. Now, so this book is written to servants of Jesus. So let me ask you a question before we get started here. How do you perceive yourself? You know, as you make decisions, for example, you think about, ah, should I move here? Should I live here? How should I spend my time? What should I do with my money? What about my vacation? Do you say, well... You know, Jesus, I'm your servant. What do you think? That's how you know if you're a servant. You consult with your master or Lord before you make decisions. So this book is written to servants of Jesus. And otherwise, it's just an interesting book. It's full of curiosities. Oh, that's very entertaining. But it's not, you're not going to get the purpose for which it was written for you as a servant. So I pray if you're not a servant, if you are a servant of Jesus and you're A-W-O-L, absent without leave, you, you know, you're hanging out at the corner bar, but you're really a servant of Jesus. You're just not living like one. I pray you get back in, in, in place here. And if you're here today, you're not a servant of Jesus. You're just kind of living your own life, serving yourself. Uh, I pray that you become a Christian today and be a servant. Uh, but this book is written to servants. All right? I want you to be clear on that. And uh, we want to cross over to the other side. All right. He made known this book, verse 1. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. This book was written by the Apostle John, who was the Apostle, you know, wrote the fourth gospel in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And at the time of this writing, uh, he's exiled on the island of Patmos, and he's the bishop of a church in Ephesus. As about, you're going to read about seven churches in Asia Minor, one of the provinces of Asia. And he is the bishop. He's overseeing the churches. But because of this great persecution has broken forth, and most scholars believe it was the time of Domitian, which is about 95 A.D. Uh, some believe it happened during Nero's persecution, the late 60, 68, 67 A.D. We're not really sure. It doesn't really matter. The point is the church is under tremendous persecution when this book is written. And so John himself, as a bishop, is now sent into exile. And, uh, and he writes it. And he says this as he begins. He, gets, he goes to, he's, he's, he's exiled. He's, he's on this island of Patmos. He's, he's been, in a sense, put in prison in a penal colony. 
And here's what he writes in verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And the word prophecy, it's an immediate word from God right now. And again, this book was written to a group of churches in Asia Minor in, say, 95 AD or late 60s AD. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. We're doing it right now. And blessed are those who hear it, you're hearing it, and take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. So, so here's the goal of the book. The, the goal of this book is that you be blessed. All right? The word blessed means two things. It means to be happy. Who, who doesn't want to be happy? Ah, happy. You want to be happy? Read the book and take it to heart. But the word blessed also means to uh, literally to find the right path in the middle of chaos and confusion. So you want to be blessed. Your life, you know, your life's chaotic and confusing. The word blessed means you're experiencing joy and happiness from God and you're not walking in crazy paths. You're walking, walking the, the correct path that God has laid out for you. That's what it means to be blessed. But the requirement is that you read it and you take it to heart, that you're, you become obedient. So you don't just read, read this text, oh, yeah, who cares? That's really interesting, you know, good sermon, you know. Hopefully during the week you'll read Revelation. Say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no blessing in that. Blessing is for those who read it and take it to heart. So my prayer is that we're all going to take it to heart here. And we're going to get blessed, uh, not just for ourselves, but the people around us. And so uh, this letter was read. If you can try to imagine, John the Apostle wrote this. It got sent to these seven churches. They sat down like us at a meeting, and they read this book out loud. And they listened to it. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read the, the chunk we're going to look at today with some detail. But just try to imagine the blessing, just you know, receiving blessing as we read through the book. That God, that your joy may fill my life, and that I may walk the right path through the midst of the craziness of life. Uh, that you have for me. All right, so let's pray together as we begin. Lord, I do pray blessings on everybody here in second service and everyone who will hear this by tape, Lord, just blessings from heaven that, Lord, we will not simply hear this, these words like they're magic, but we might take them to heart. We might rightly divide your word, Lord, in a way that honors you and this prophetic word, the immediacy, the now word that you had for these seven churches, you also have for all of history that you have for us today. And I pray we might receive it and hear it from you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's begin reading in verse 4. All right, now, I need you to work a little bit harder in these messages on Revelation because I do have to do a bit more teaching as I go along. Uh, but it's so rich. You've got to see it like we're mining for gold, all right? There is such gold here. So hang in there with me as John begins in verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before the throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. John, your brother... I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering, underline that word, and kingdom and patient endurance that all ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos 
because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His, hair and, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like the bronze, were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Amen and amen. All right. I'm going to break up this morning in three parts. I want to give kind of a lengthy introduction to the book and why we want to study Revelation. Then I'll want to talk about Jesus and then make some applications. All right. Why do we study Revelation today? Now, just so you know, for those of you big note takers, I'm going to get, hopefully, Gideon to get these notes from a disc on the internet so you can download them and don't have to take, go crazy taking notes, all right? But number one, I mean, there really only have five reasons, but the first is it, it, is, uh, it was the most quoted, there we go, the most quoted New Testament book by the early church fathers. Now, the early church fathers, I mean, between the first century and the fourth century, first 300 years of the church, lots of people wrote books. You've probably heard names like Tertullian and... Uh, Cyprian and other folks, and, and uh, they, wrote, they, they commented about the Bibles. They wrote to different churches, and they quoted Revelation more than any other book. They loved the book of Revelation in the early church. And uh, that's one reason to study, because so few churches ever preach from Revelation. Very, very, I've never heard a series on the book. I've heard a sermon on this or that, a piece, but never someone really attack it. Uh, but number two, a second reason to study it, is it gives us great insight into who Jesus is. I mean, this book is going to give you such an insight into Jesus, like really there's no other place in the New Testament that gives some of the glorious revelations and understandings of, of Jesus, especially his faithfulness and dependability. It's just, it's breathtaking. And it is meant to take your breath away. All right, number three, uh, the book has been so badly interpreted. I mean, I, I, I just, there's not a book in the Bible that's been more twisted like this one. And, uh, and my prayer is to give it back to the church. My prayer is that when this is all over, you will value and cherish this book the rest of your life. But not like a crazy person, but, uh, you know. <laughs> but remember, bad interpretation of, of the Bible destroys people's lives. Don't ever, don't ever, even though it may make people zealous in the short term, ultimately destroys people. I'm going to give you a little example. Now, the late great planet Earth, right, movie, book. I, I have a good friend who became a Christian reading the book. Because there is some truth in the book. But most of it isn't true. As it lays out events and how they're going to transpire, his, his interpretation of that book is faulty. Just like many people will take Revelation and it'll give you a date. Jesus is going to come in 19, you know, 1998, you know, some radio commentators, some other books, and they'll take books and begin to put pieces together. And, uh, you know, I met, for example, once a medical student. He quit medical school. Saw him on the street. He was, test, you know, witnessing for Jesus. 
And what are you doing? I said, why'd you quit medical school? Because I read the late great planet Earth. He's coming any minute now. Why waste my time in medical school? And, uh, and you know, really, the, the sad thing is he's witnessing, which is a good thing. And I tried talking to him. Obviously, it didn't do much good because I look like a, a lukewarm Laodicean Christian, you know. I'm telling him to go back to school and study. Uh, but, uh, again, I don't know where he is today, many years later. But uh, more than one person has read Revelation or read an interpretation of Revelation and told their spouse, hasta luego, I'm bye, I don't have time for this marriage anymore, I'm quitting my job, I'm going to travel, you know, because he's coming any day now. And so bad interpretation of, of scripture damages people long term. And uh, we've seen it. So there's, there's basically, there's no perfect interpretation of a book. You've got to see the book. It's kind of like, if you're into music, you're an artist here, it's kind of, it's kind of like the you know, Ninth Symphony of Beethoven. Or again, I mentioned the Sistine Chapel last week. It's like, you know, you're trying to, to communicate some music that you can never fully communicate. So, but the music's going to come through. But there is no perfect interpretation of any book of the Bible. So you want to take that into consideration. But it's two basic rules, you know, of interpretation. We basically, you interpret a, the, the book in the context of the book. So in other words, you, you, you kind of take it in context. You don't pick a verse here or a verse there. And, and so you let the text speak for itself. So for example, you know, a guy named Schofield, some of you know the name, you know, he takes the, the letters written to the seven churches. And basically, okay, now this is the seven churches' letters are, are a prophecy of the seven different ages of the church after Jesus resurrects. And so, you know, this is the age from 0 to 300 A.D. and 300 to 1500 A.D. and 1500 to 1700 A.D. He has this elaborate scheme of, this is how you trace church history on the seven churches. But it's, the problem is, it's not, that's not what the text is saying. This text was written to people like you and me, who are sitting in a church, who are under tremendous pressure and persecution and fighting for their lives. Now, try to imagine this. Michael, I'll use you, the best PowerPoint guy in Queens. All right, right here. That's like we come together in church on Sunday morning, but the problem is Michael, last week, was burned at City Hall as a torch by, the, by Mayor Nero, who's now coming after all the Christians. All the churches have been shut down. Christians are being burned as torches in the streets. Now, you better tell me something. We get together. We're, 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 we're hungry. We're, we're, we're in need here. Now, you're coming together with a whole different energy level, as you look at this book, you're not sitting around playing with, okay, now Russia is Magog. You know, Russia is the ones of the mark of the beast, is when you use credit cards, or the European Union, or... And I felt so bad, you know, it was Henry Kissinger, then it was Gorbachev, and oh, the poor Pope, he got sucked in, you know, and, you know, the mark of the beast, and who's the mark of the beast, and, and Islam, and, and I mean, it really gets crazy. But I just want you to know that when they were reading this and receiving this in the first century... This was, a, this was meant to be a, a word from God for them. And uh, all the gymnastics, I know it sells books, it makes great movies, and people actually come to Christ through it, but most of it, I'm telling you, friends, is false. And you will see it as we go through it. It's just not in the book. And you can read stuff into the Bible that was never there. And as I was counseled by a, a great professor when I was in seminary, which I'll never forget, he goes, don't ever put words in God's mouth. And if you don't know what it says, just say, I don't know. And we're going to come to points in Revelation, we're going to say, I wonder, you know, I don't know. And there are specific points where we're going to say, you know, I don't really know quite what it says. But the, the message is clear, and you're going to get some of that today. It's clear, crystal, and simple for the church, and I believe for us today. It was not meant to be so obscure. And so this is what's called uh, apocalyptic literature. It's like a, it's a certain type of literature, this book. And the best way I can describe it is in, in, um, 
Think of, think of political cartoons. I know many of you read car the cartoon section when you go home. But think of political cartoons. And you ever see them? You, got like a, you see the United States is represented by what? Uncle Sam. Russia is a bear. Okay, Great Britain is, I think, a lion. The China represents itself by a dragon. And, and you've got these images. And, and that's kind of what's used here, a lot of images. But when they were reading in the first century, they understood what the images meant. And because it was, he was communicating to them in a way that that's apocalyptic literature. There was a whole type of literature called apocalyptic literature of that day. And you can, actually, you can read a lot of it. It's not scripture, but it's kind of like we think of like a romance novel or a historical novel. You know, it was a type of writing style. John uses that as he gets this vision from God to communicate it. And he's using all these pictures and images. And it's not that we would analyze, super analyze them. These images were meant to overpower you. These images weren't to communicate with you. They were meant to move you emotionally to God and to rescue you from the present evil day and to encourage you. And, and, uh, but again, he's using a lot of symbols here that the readers who read it were familiar with. Now, we're not, we don't understand all the images, but I want you to understand that most of them, for the readers, they knew what was going on. That's why he wrote them the book of these seven churches in Asia Minor in the first century AD. Okay, the fourth message. Fourth reason we study for it, it's meant to be a book of encouragement to people who are suffering. Now, uh, it was a German, a German Lutheran pastor who wrote a commentary on Revelation during World War II. Uh, he was in a concentration camp because, if you remember, Hitler set up the church. He took control of the church in Nazi Germany. But not all the Christians you know, agreed, so they ended up in a concentration camp. Most of them died. This German Lutheran pastor refused to cooperate with Hitler, ended up in a concentration camp and dying. But in the camp, he wrote a commentary on, on Revelation. And here's what he writes in the introduction. He says, people who have not suffered often play with the imagery of revelation. People who suffer never play with the imagery or play games with the book. Now, if you're suffering here today, you're in a great place to receive the message of this book. These were people under intense, again, pressure, suffering. Now, what kind of suffering you're in your life right now? But uh, the horrible visions, we're going to talk about the beast later. People who are suffering can feel the beast's breath. People who are suffering can feel the, can smell the beast. And these horrible images which are conjured up in Revelation are meant to encourage people who are suffering. So if you're suffering today in any area of life, what's going on, uh, this book is for you. It's meant to be a great encouragement. But as a third, as a, number five, is the fifth group, this is what I want to spend a few minutes on this morning, is it teaches us about our struggle with the beast of the 21st century in particular. Because the theme, as we move in the book, is about the struggle with the beast. Now, Satan's power is present in the beast in the book of Revelation. And the beast for the first century Christians was the Roman Empire that was now seeking to annihilate from the emperor down the church. And it looked, as one commentator says, as if the church itself would become extinct. And so this book was written about how do we as a tiny minority of powerless people, apparently, stand up against the overwhelming odds of the pagan society that surrounds us. Now, the call is not to be absorbed by the beast. The call is to break free from the lies of the beast and witness to the truth. 
Now again, you know, Revelation uncovers the, the character of the beast's lies and delusions. It's, it's incredibly fascinating. And talks to how do I stand in the truth? You ever feel like, oh my gosh, the, 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 uh, the power of the, of the beast is so great, no one can stand. It's just too much. And, and the, the call is also to Christians who are affluent, who are middle class, who are now compromising with the beast. Because in Revelation, there's no compromise. Either you are with the beast or you stand with Jesus and you pay a price. There is no middle ground in Revelation. And what's happening in the churches is a bunch of people are compromising with the beast. And so the message all through Revelation is no people, you better repent or judgment will fall on you because there are only two camps. But the call is to witness to Jesus as the truth and to suffer with the Lamb of God and die if need be. Now just imagine, just imagine now, if the church has been declared illegal in the United States, just imagine for a minute now that a bunch, ten people you know at New Life were killed last week. Everyone's out of a job who declares themselves a Christian for Jesus. How many are going to be in church on Sunday? Let's be honest. Can you see how many people must have said, you know what, I can't, it's not worth it. Now what's interesting as you get into, into Revelation is because the beast has got a whole, the Roman Empire has got a whole propaganda machine. All, and the whole economy is run by the beast and promises peace throughout the empire. But to stand with Jesus means to oppose the beast. And, there is, and again, to oppose the beast and stand for Jesus, in Revelation says, it provokes a conflict so intense at the end of time, it will lead to death of many. But that there is no way to avoid conflict with the beast. If you don't want conflict, you compromise, you sell it, and you are absorbed by the beast, and you become one of his. It's an incredible message. And so, so it's witness to the truth or compromised by lies. Now, what's the beast today? And, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm not going to go into it in great detail because it'll come down the road. But you've got to just imagine. Look, look at ourselves. Here we are in New York City, the largest city in the nation, perhaps the most influential city in the world, and we are undoubtedly the greatest or superpower in the world today. We are dominant in culture, economics, uh, media, we dominate the world. And we are living in the center of it. And what the beast would be is, is, is the message coming through about money, affluence, live for yourself, comfort. You know what? You owe it to yourself. This Jesus stuff and this church stuff, you know what? For crazy people, fanatical people, screwed up people, you fight for yourself. And, we, and, we, and you end up grading people. Oh, he's a loser. Look at his education. Or you begin to get your worth, and, and you're, oh, I'm educated, or I'm uh, or beautiful, or celebrity culture, and this whole, these messages come screaming to us day and night, and it's the message of the beast, and it says to you, forget the word of God. Who cares about the word of God? This is where life is, and out of fact, if you choose Jesus to be faithful to him, you'll pay a price. And so the Christians in these seven churches, a lot of them are sucking it up and saying, it's not worth it, I'm going to go, because the benefits are with the beast. The benefits are not with Jesus in terms of externally, materially, financially, comfort level. It's everything against what your flesh wants. And so the message teaches about that you better, who is this beast? What is he like? And the book kind of exposes him. You know, you think about how we base people's value on color of their skin. or You think of how sexuality, how the beast has taken something so beautiful as sexuality and enslaved so many. But the way we struggle with the beast is that when we make priority, every time you make a priority decision for your life, where do I live? How do I function? What's important? Money. 
decisions I'm going to make. People I'm going to relate to. What are your goals for your children if you're a parent here? You know, many of us have goals for our children that are the goals of the beast. They're not the goals of the kingdom, they're the goals of the beast. And we've succeeded if we've done what the lies have told us is success for our kids. And again, even how we treat Scripture and, and Jesus and who He is and so flippantly, ah, oh, yeah, 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 the Bible, I read it once in a while when I'm in trouble. It's the beast. And, and, and this book says in no uncertain terms, if you think you can play with the beast, you're a fool. And you will be absorbed and spit out. But understand the church of that day, just like we today are under, the word is intense pressure, is the word for suffering in verse 8. John said, I'm your companion in suffering. The word is thalipsis, it's intense pressure. And many of us, we're not even aware of the intense pressure. You know why? Because we're enjoying the beast. Now, some of you are saying, yeah, my spouse, he's a beast. Yeah, I'm not. Don't do I must have five people second service. First service, say, he's the beast, you know. But I hope you can feel the beast rubbing against your shoulders. I hope you can smell the beast. I pray that you can almost taste the beast. It's so close to you. To want to cut you off in your relationship with Jesus. Cut you off from fellowship. Cut you off from the relationships that will, that will push you to be zealous for God and isolate you and consume you and grab your heart so in three years you'll say, Jesus? Oh yeah, church thing? I used to be into that. That is the passion of the beast. And on no, on no uncertain terms, John says, so you understand at the end of time, it will cost you your life to stand with Jesus. Your very life. And the way you'll overcome the beast, you know, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, right? People love that verse. It's a great verse, seven times. And we think, oh yeah, you know, victory in Jesus, a flag. No, no. To him who overcomes is to follow Jesus and to die. That you overcome the beast and the dragon and the false prophet by dying with Jesus and giving your very life. Now, how many want to sign up for that? My gosh. But that's the book. That, that, that's the message. How do we live that out in American... Today? Come on, so anti-American Christian. But that is the message of the book. And saying to those who persevere, to those who are faithful, is the message of the book. He's encouraging those suffering who are dying and losing family members, but he's, he's encouraging, number five, those who are compromising and getting sucked in by the beast and losing their lampstand. They're losing their lights. They're losing their saltiness. And they're becoming just like the beast. It's heavy, isn't it? All right. Let's go on to number two. What do we learn about Jesus? Let's go to the text here for a minute, okay? Because you have to understand that there's, a, there's, a, there's another contrast going on. Look at verse five. Because these, it's like, do you ever feel like you're just, you're being overwhelmed by life? The, the difficulties, the struggles, the pressure, it's coming from every direction, inside the church, outside the church, like, oh my gosh! And you're just feeling crushed. Again, the word is intense pressure, suffering. And so what the book begins with a revelation of Jesus. It gives a, 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 you know, just, I want to just go through a few verses of what we learn about Jesus. Because as you're feeling overwhelmed, you're like, the, like you know, the Roman Empire is winning this thing. I mean, you know, the beast is in total charge here. And to think to stand up against the culture, Pete, forget about it. I can't do it. And so he begins in verse 5. And I'll just point out some things here. And Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, is Faithful witness. He's the, he, he is, the word is witness to the truth. He is faithful. 
Because the mark of the beast, one of the characteristics of the beast is lies and propaganda. Some of you are in public relations advertising, you know, and you've studied in courses, and it's fascinating. But it's about propaganda and lies of the beast. It's about Jesus is different. He is a faithful witness. The word in Greek is he's a martyr to the truth. And what marks the followers of Jesus, the Lamb of God, is we are martyrs to the truth. And we expose lies and deceptions. We see it a mile away and says, oh, yeah, you know, People Magazine, this is the rich and famous. We know, That's a sham. These are not the great ones. The great ones, the humble person serving Jesus in Bangladesh, in obscurity, in that little village who's given their life for God. Amen. But that person's not going to make People Magazine. But Jesus is the, is the faithful witness. And it goes on, verse 5. He's the firstborn from the dead, which means that he, he not just that he conquered death, but he is sovereign over death. And uh, then it says he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. They're telling these Christians sitting there, they're, imagine they're, they're in, you know, Laodicea or Smyrna or these little churches in Asia Minor and they get this message and they say, John writes, hey, this is Jesus. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. It may look like he's not in charge. No, the emperor's not in charge. Jesus is, he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. The ruler of Iraq is not Hussein. The ruler over him is Jesus. The rule, our ruler is not Bush. Jesus is over Bush. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's over Afghanistan. He's over Argentina. He's over Israel. He's over, Af he's over the whole continent of Africa, South Africa, Mozambique, you name the cities. He's over Indonesia. He's over Antarctica. He's the ruler of all the kings of the earth. That's who he is. He says, listen, guys, I want you to get the record straight. This is true. And then he goes on. He goes to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. He, he loves you. It's present tense. He's got agape towards you. This king of the rules of the earth. You, you may be losing everything right now. Everything may be falling apart. But I want you to know God has the word there is agape. He's got an unconditional, without reservation, without any performance, love for you. You may have compromised. You may be having dinner with the beast. You may be having a ten-course meal with the beast. But you're his servant, and he loves you. And his attitude towards you is love, agape. He has loved us, present tense, and he's freed us, verse 6, verse 5, from our sins by his blood. The word is a great word. He, he has paid a price by his blood to cut the chains and loose you from Satan's grip, to get you free from the beast and free from Satan and free from the world to live the life God has called you to live. But he's loosed you. He's freed you. You aren't to be living as a compromised beast follower because Jesus set you free and he's made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. You may be like, feel like you're a loser. No, I want you to tell you something. You're a kingdom. You are part of a royal family and Jesus invites you to rule with him as his son or as his daughter. And you're a priest. You have immediate access to God. You can talk to God. You may not be talking to God, but you are a priest. And a priest is, and you can talk to him immediately. You don't have to go through anybody else. It's right there for you. And then he goes on. Michael, Michael, put it up. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Verse 8. Jump down. It goes, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And it's a great theme of the Alpha and Omega. And you see that, you know, four times in the book. God says I'm the Alpha and Omega. Jesus says I'm the first and the last. God says I'm the Alpha and Omega. Christ says I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And, and again, you'll notice in this book, you know, if you come from backgrounds where, you know, does not believe in the Trinity, that Jesus is God, if any book communicates crystal clear that Jesus is God, it is the book of Revelation. It's all over the place. We worship him. He, he says the same thing God says because Jesus is. Anyway, so Alpha is the first, anybody know the first letter of the Greek alphabet, right? And Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. So it's like saying in English, we say I'm the A and I'm the Z. And what that means is Jesus is saying that 
Uh, I'm, I'm the A, I'm the Z, and I'm all the letters in between. I'm the B, C, D, E, F, and G. And so what he's saying is I am the A. I created the universe. I created all of history. And I'm going to be the Z. I'm going to be the Omega. I'm going to be the last word of history. I'm going to end history when I see fit. How I see fit. I'm completely in charge. In fact, I'm also everything in between. I am completely in control. He says it four times. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am it may seem like the Romans right now are wiping out the Christians. Because Michael just got burned at the stake. Have no fear. I'm the ruler of the kings of the earth. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm completely in charge. I'm the sovereign one. I'm the ruler. I've got everything under control. I'm the, Al I'm the Alpha and the Omega. And then he says, I'm the, verse 8, I am the Almighty. What a great word. So, you know, I'm, it, Rome is not Almighty. I'm the Almighty, says the Lord. Nine times it's in the text. And the word for grip. Lord, I've got a grip on history. I've got a grip on what's going on. You may feel like everything's out of control. It is not. I am the Almighty, and I have a grip on things. And he's telling his church, are you being encouraged? And so it may seem like everything's hopeless in your life right now, you know, and everything's out of control. You've lost your job, maybe your family, you know, maybe your job is, you know, you're losing your job, or your marriage is falling apart, or you're struggling with some addiction, or you've had a setback financially, or some dream you had is, is gone forever, or maybe one of your children has run away from home, or... You know, you've got the big C word. Someone said you got cancer. And uh, whatever you were holding on to was lost. That's, you got to hear this word. Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega and the Almighty. And it, outwardly it may appear hopeless, but that is not reality. I'm unveiling. This is reality. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's completely in charge. And you want to see him as he really is. And so then it goes on in, in verse uh, 12. John turns around to this voice. And then he begins to see, verse 13, I turn around and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. And, and, and he sees. And now I've got to catch this, guys. When you read this, and I've had the privilege, and I've been in this text now for a while, it's meant to emotionally knock you over. It's meant to affect you emotionally. It's not just like, well, let, me, let me analyze and interpret and divide the words. I mean, if you do too much of that, you lose the impact of the book. You're supposed to see Jesus and be knocked over. Like I, I, was, I can't tell you how many times in studying this, I, was just, I had to stop. I felt like a, a wave was hitting me in my office. Like, oh my gosh. Now, you know, I was like, why am I worried about anything? And, but you know how it is. Then I get up and I, and I think about you and I worry. You know, you, know, you start worrying. You, you know, and, you, you, you know, and, and I, and I got to get knocked over again. And so you've got to saturate yourself in the images and, and the reality of who he is, of Jesus. And so anyway, it's a great one here. And, 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 you know, as, he, he, as John now starts the book with a, 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 a vision of Jesus. And he goes, I saw among the lampstands, verse 13, someone like a son of man. And then he describes it. Now that word son of man, he, he's going back to Daniel chapter 7. Which in Daniel chapter 7, hundreds of years before Christ, Daniel had all these visions and dreams. No one knew what they were. And it became clear once Jesus came to earth. But, um, good, Michael, put it up. And... Uh, and so this is from Daniel chapter 7, and here's Daniel, and he says, and you'll see now where John's coming from. He goes, as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days, that's God Almighty, took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. His hair of his head was white like wool. His, this throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze with fire. A river of fire was coming out from before him. Can you see the scene? 
Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000. It's a word, really, it's a very infinity word. Next one. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. That's the word Jesus used to describe himself as the son of man, all through the New Testament. His most popular self-identity designation. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days and was led to his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Now, Rome claimed authority, glory, and sovereign power. So does our government. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worship him, the son of man. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so when John opens his vision, he turns around, and he sees someone like a son of man. And he's like, oh my gosh. And then it goes on. Look at verse, I'll just mention a few moments here in you know, verse 13. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. You get this image of you know, royalty, golden sash, you know, as a king or a high priest. Then verse 14, his head was hair and hair were white like wool, as white like snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. This son of man, Jesus, is like blazing fire. He sees through it all. You can hide to your friends, you can hide to your neighbors, you can hide to yourself, but Jesus' eyes are like blazing fire. He sees right through it all. You can kid, you can kid, I, people kid themselves to their deathbed. Jesus, I'm, his, eyes are bl his eyes are blazing fire. And he's going to walk into these churches, we get into these churches, he cuts through these churches like blazing fire. That's why a church can be written up in magazines, be famous and known for all these stuff, but it doesn't matter because Jesus says, I come with eyes that are blazing fire. And I'm going to cut through the whole thing. I'm going to tell you what's really inside this place. And so then he goes on. His eyes are like blazing fire. His, his feet are like bronze glowing in a furnace. And the image there is of stability and strength. He, his feet are on the ground. His voice is like the sound of rushing waters. Think of Ibn and Niagara Falls. It's incredible. You know, the, the thundering. It never stops. He goes, when Jesus speaks, it is that kind of thundering waters. And most of us read the word of God. Oh, yeah, that's interesting, Jesus. You know, we, we throw it, we blow it off. He says, no, he says, his voice is like the voice of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth, verse 16, comes a double-edged sword. And a sword was an offensive weapon. And it's, it's, it's a, it's, he's going to cut, and he's going to bring judgment. This is not a wimp Jesus. He is going to deal with evil in his time. Not any evil will not be dealt with. Whatever was sown will be reaped. And he will come with that sword. That's who he is. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Think of it. The face, like, can you look at the sun in midday? His face is like the sun shining in all its brilliance. That's who he is. And so, and so just, just imagine, this, this is Jesus. Amidst, it looks like the culture, like, who's Jesus? Who cares? Why die for your faith? Why, why sacrifice anything for Jesus? Why even lose your promotion for Jesus? Don't do it! Live with the beast! The only way you'll say, I'm going to live for Jesus, if you have a vision of who he is. Because that's reality. Say, so you know what? All this other stuff is lies and propaganda. And so he's given them a vision. If this is what Jesus is really like, when John sees it in verse 17, he falls down as dead. Oh, my goodness. He's wiped out. Now, Jesus says, verse 17 and 18, let me go back to that for a minute. I'm the living one. I was dead. You say, I'm, the, I'm alive, John. He's saying to us, I'm the living one. The world says Jesus is not alive. Jesus, I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. He said, I don't have any hope. My situation will ever change, or I'll ever change. No, I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and Haiti. I've got the keys, and I've unlocked it. Let them kill you. They don't have any power over death. I do. I've conquered it. I'm the living one. I'm alive. Don't despair. Are you kidding me? Be calm, relax, be hopeful. 
But John falls down as dead. Here's the wonderful surprise, right? Revelation is full of surprises. Look at verse 17. He's laying on the floor. Now think of a knight. Think of, think of King Arthur and his knights with me, all right? How many are King Arthur fans? Half true, right? But they still knight people in England, right? The queen made Paul McCartney a knight, I think, recently. Right? So the way it worked out in those times was it was based on the Roman tradition. The Romans had, they claimed alone to have the power of life and death. As I remember when Jesus was crucified, they had to go to Pilate and the Romans to, to have the authority to kill Jesus. Only the Romans had the sword to say, live or die. No other country could do that. Now, in the same way, a king, for example, in King Arthur's court, when a, when a person would come before the king and was possibly going to be knighted, the king would have his, his sword, his, my sword, the little sword, and would choose at that moment. Now, there would be terror in the person's laying prostrate before the king because the king, with one swoop, could cut the person's head off and had total authority to do that, die. John is sitting, he's kneeling down prostrate and realizes he deserves to die for his sin. And, and the king has every right to take his head off. But this is an amazing surprise here because it says Jesus takes his, he places his right hand on John's shoulder and says, basically, John, I need you alive, not dead. Somebody else has died in your place. My son Jesus. I've died for you. So, so rise up, I knight you today. I make you a knight. I've got a plan for you. You're going to serve me as my knight. Knights protect their kings. You're better for me alive than dead. So get up, John. And that's what the Lord, that's the gospel, isn't it? We all deserve to die. We bow down. Instead of killing us, he says, no, I've killed my son for you because I love you. Now I've got a plan for your life. Now get up. Do not fear anybody. Don't fear the beast. Don't fear people. Don't fear the Romans. Don't fear your neighbors. Fear not. Do not fear. Stand up. This is, this is the grace of God. This is, I don't know about you, it just makes me want to, oh God, he's put his hand on me. On both shoulders, says, Pete, get up. I've got something for you to do. <sighs> All right. The scary is that some of you are knights, but you're not functioning as a knight. You are a servant of Jesus. You are a knight. God has something for you to do. Just like he had something for John to do. He's got a plan for your life. He's got something for you to do. He wants to use you. But you know what you're doing as a knight? You are at, really, you're at Sage Diner having a beer. I'm not anti-Sage Diner. But you no longer see your life as, I'm a knight of God who has basically knighted me. And so you're in school, which is great, but you're not in school simply to get some information, to get another master's degree or doctorate degree. You're not in your job simply to make some money. You, you are there as a knight, as a servant of the living God. Not to be consumed by the beast, but rather to testify to the truth of Jesus and to suffer for him. All right. Let me make three applications here. Real quick, let we'll close. All right. The first is to come out from the beast. I like the imagery in, in actually uh, later in the book, 16, 17, 18, the beast is referred to as Babylon the harlot, the prostitute. And the image is stop having intercourse with Babylon. Come out and live for me. You've polluted yourself with the prostitution of the beast. Pretty graphic image, isn't it? But the call is for us to come out of the beast. And we are surrounded by the beast. It is very, very powerful. Michael, put that verse up. You know, it says in 13, 3, and 4, the whole world was astonished and followed the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? They feel like, who, who, who can really be a Christian today? Come on, Pete. I've had folks tell me, come on, spend a day alone with God. What are you, crazy? Pete, you know what, you know what this culture's like, Pete? I got a lot of things to do. Who can, who can fight the, the pressure 
of the beast and, and be faithful to Jesus long term. And you know what they said? They, in this text, I said, who can make war against them? I give up. I quit. And the theme of Revelation is to persevere. Next, yeah, the next, the next verse is, you know, this calls in, in uh, chapter 13, verse 10, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Just imagine, just imagine if three quarters of the church goes over to the beast side. And you come to church next week and there's 30 of us sitting in the room. How would you feel? Ooh, I don't know, I want to be a Christian today, you know? But look at John in verse 9. He says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering, the word suffering there is intense pressure. I am your brother and companion in the intense pressure you feel. And the kingdom, we belong to a kingdom, and patient endurance that are ours in Christ. The call through this book, it's a great word, I'll get into the word study another day, this calls for patient endurance. To, in other words, to hang in there. Do you ever feel like quitting God? Ha! Some of you are like quitting every other day. Of course you feel like quitting something. It's too much. The pressure is too much. I don't I can't go on. They're right. The call is for patient endurance. Unless you get a vision of Jesus, you'll quit. Unless you see clearly the unveiling of what really reality is, you will see the surface, you'll make decisions, you'll quit. Ten years later, we'll find you. You know what? You're dining with the beast. You've been knighted by him now. And you're out there on a crusade to get Christians out of church. You're, Christian. you're wasting your life. Have a life, will you? It's frightening. I've seen it. But behind the world system, don't ever forget this, behind the beast, whatever that beast form takes in our century, we don't know when the end will come, but we know this, the beast is active, is satanic powers that want to destroy you. You've got to hear that. There are evil powers that want to cut you off from God. And this is not a joke. This is real. And John said, I want you to understand, God is doing a work in you and through you. There's a beast and a dragon that want to destroy you. And don't ever, and these people in churches, even the first century, oh yeah, it won't be fine. Yeah, really? You cannot compromise with the beast. One of the big things, the beast is full of lies and propaganda. And if you feed yourself on that, eventually you'll absorb it and you'll believe it. And when you hear the truth, you'll be like, oh yeah, I used to believe that funny stuff in Sunday school. And you'll treat it flippantly, and uh, because that world system wants to enslave you, and the word is enslaved, but you are called to bear witness to Jesus, and you're called to be a lampstand, a great image of a lampstand, giving light. But some of us, we're not giving light anymore because the beast has shut you down. He's enslaved you somehow. you got to work that out as you walk through, through school. So, okay. All right. Number two. To remember Jesus who sits on the throne. Great theme of the book. Jesus is, the, twice it says in the book, he is the king of kings. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is sitting on the throne. No anxiety. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's got a plan. He sees your life. You're right. He may call you to be one of those people that get torched over there. Michael, you know, at age 22, 23 years old. He may call you living until you're 84, you know what? But he says, I've got everything perfectly in my plan. You be faithful, you endure, you don't quit, you stick with me. I'm on the throne, relax. Just relax. And, and so you are to let these images sink in that God is not going to be frustrated by anything happening that anybody's going to do. He's not freaking out. By Saddam Hussein is not freaking out. 
it's fine. You know what? In fact, even that person driving you crazy. Now, is the economy going to go down the next 10 years? Are we going to be in a big depression? You know, who knows? Don't worry, Jesus is on the throne. How about nuclear proliferation? You know, I get concerned. You know, nukes, I mean, I don't know. The next 25 years seems pretty inevitable. Somebody crazy is going to get the hold of a nuke or a chemical or biological weapon. But Jesus says, don't worry about it. I'm on the throne. You know, you say, you know, what about the population explosion? You know, we're about 6.5 billion. We're going to be 10 billion people. Oh, my gosh. Who's going to feed all these people? It's going to be a mess. What's going to happen? The poverty of north and south and all disparities going on. Oh, God. Of course, don't worry. The Lord, I'm on the throne. I'm fully in charge. Nothing's going to happen, you know. And that's good. No, nothing's happened that I don't know about because I'm sitting on the throne. There's an application for us to relax, rest. And at least my last one, I'll close with this. To just to pray and worship. There's a call in this book to be a person that cries out in prayer. And we talked about, Peter gave a great announcement about prayer earlier. And to worship him in the midst of the chaos. This book is filled with what's called chorales. Like, it's so beautiful, we did a series on Psalms last year about the importance of singing and worship. This book is filled with these interludes of just worship and high praise to God in the midst of all this horrible stuff going on. And uh, so, Michael, put the verse up from, you know, James, you know, this is from James 1, 2, and 3. You know, consider it pure joy. And this is a, this is a text about trials. And G.K. Chesterton once said that the serious business of heaven is joy. And somehow, in the midst of suffering, intense pressure, the beast breathing down your neck, wanting to suck your spiritual life dry, we are called to be people of pure joy. My brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops, there's that word, patient endurance, or perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. Pray! As one of the great themes of the book, that the way we're going to conquer the Lamb... So our conquer the beast is by simplicity of prayer, staying connected, and worshiping him. All right, worship him, come on forward. I'm going to invite you all to stand with me for a minute, all right? Why don't we just take a minute? Why don't you bow your head and your eyes. <clears throat> I trust this morning that you've received a a, a, a glimpse of a, the, the surprises of revelation that God has for you and for us, the breakthroughs that you saw and you see a little bit more clearly the power of the beast and the purposes of the beast, but also the beauty and the glory and the truthfulness of Jesus. So I'd like to do what we did first. Sir. I'd like to pray for everyone right now first. This is a heavy word. And it's a heavy book. So I'm going to invite you to just open your hands up before God and just in a posture of openness to Him. And again, maybe you're here this morning and you're not even sure you're a Christian yet. And you want to say, oh God, I'm definitely with the beast. And you want to ask the Lord to be, forgive you of your sins. 
and you want to come to him for the first time and receive Jesus, I want you to do that right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I cross the line on the other side. I accept you, Lord. I want to be yours. And I receive your cleansing and your forgiveness today afresh. Just do it right now. Just say yes, Lord, to him. And come on forward later at the end of the service. We want to give you some literature, help you get started. You want to come out of the beast. But Lord, I pray for everyone in this room, all of us, God, because we can feel the intensity and the pressure of the beast, of the lies, of the propaganda, of the economic machine, of making decisions, Lord, as if you don't even exist. So Lord, you see us how frail we are. It seems like we could be overwhelmed by our pagan culture that surrounds us. Those voices come screaming at us day and night, Lord, that it seems almost so difficult to hear your voice. Almost like you've been extinguished, Lord. We can't see anything. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray blessings on everyone who's heard your words this morning. And I pray, Lord, for the Holy Spirit's power to fall in this room. Holy Spirit, come in power. Blow like the wind through this place. Just receive now from God power from heaven to come out of the beast and rest in Jesus who's the Lamb, who sits on the throne, all your problems. He's on the throne to patiently endure, be faithful to Him, to bear witness to what is true. Lord, wash over us, baptize us afresh in the Spirit. Wash us, saturate us inside out, Lord, that we might have the power to get up and be knights of you, the living God. To get up and fulfill your purpose for our lives. To not follow lies, Lord. But to stand and bear witness to what is true. You, Lord, and your word. So I pray, God, just release and impart power in this room, Father, to live and follow you. A heart that longs for you, that we might discern and see clearly the lies of our culture. Help us to come out of the beast, Lord, and follow hard after you. I speak blessings over you in the name of Jesus, over myself, over us as a family, that our lampstand might stand firm, might breathe light towards Jesus for the people who live around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. William's going to just take us through that song that we sang earlier. Just beautiful. Make these words yours.